So just just with with Revelation one that um, that we read earlier, John came and he saw Jesus, and he was familiar with Jesus. He was leaning on his breast, um, and he knew Je- the, the heartbeat of Jesus. And yet, when he saw him, he felt as a man dead. And then Jesus touched his shoulder and he said, "It's me. I was dead, but I am alive." And then he said something, behold. And tonight I want to do, for us, I want us to, to take a moment and just behold. Because it's in the beholding that we are changed. And it's in the beholding that, that, that we actually, that he's doing a deep work in us. You know, how, how, how do we stay tuned? Because I find myself just sometimes... I had this this picture. Let's let's maybe start there. Just Fred and Nikki, your your little boy. Just just, it's precious that the moment that that, you know, it was taken away from the presence of his dad, he threw a tantrum. And it's beautiful because I wish that spiritually I will be as vehemently in love with my father that the moment that anything grabs my attention just for a split second, I would react like that spiritually. I had earlier this, you know, it's, it's, it's always beautiful just toddlers when they, when they run, when they see their dad or mum. I don't know, the arms always go out and they, they start running. And then on the beach, oftentimes there's something that blows over, you know, there's a beach ball that comes along and it blows over. And so they have the lock on and then the moment that beach ball comes, they just start to drift and off they go. Until then again, it's hold on, get the focus, get back. And I find sometimes just to my own frustration that spiritually... I'm like that. In a moment like tonight, I'm beholding him. And we sing, God, you're worth it all. I'll give everything. I'll live. I'll die for you. And then Monday morning comes, and there's ESCOM, and there's the reality of a bank balance, and there's the reality of, of increased um, bonds and, and, and. And, you know, these things blow across our paths, and we start to chase after them until we grab hold of them and realize it's a bag of wind. And we just can, can come back. And tonight I just want us to come back to the very basic thing of what is the gospel about, to love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. So I have a question that I want to hopefully will have answer, answers for or answered by the end of the night, is how do I maintain a radical Christian life that glorifies God and spill over into my daily life that will cause people to crave Jesus. Right. That's not the title. I don't know what the title is, but can I say it again? Can I ask it again? How do I maintain a radical Christian life that will glorify God and spill over into my daily life that will cause people to crave after Jesus? So the Westminster, um, I think we've, we've all heard the, the, the Westminster Catechism has this, the first question, what is the chief end of man? And we know that, hey, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Two things, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is our aim, our purpose in life. Now, my question to myself is tonight is, is how much do I chase that thing? How much of that occupies my thought, my passion, my desire, 
You know, C.S. Lewis put it like this, um, fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. And I love that because it's actually in enjoying that, that, that we will glorify and in glorifying that we will enjoy. And it's this thing that works together in our relationship with, with God. Um, Psalm 27 verse 4. Um, it's got this one thing. And I'll come with I think this is one of the, the, the well-quoted scriptures. And just David, just a little bit of background. Here's David. And he asks one thing. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And the reason is this, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You know, we can dwell in the house, and I can almost say, dare I say, we can dwell in Josh Jen, and we can miss the reason why we dwell in Josh, Josh Jen. I can serve God. I can do my disciplines and my, my prayer and my fasting and my Bible study and scripture and all that, but I can miss the one thing. The reason for that is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to enjoy Him forever. Hey, so we're ask, asking the question, we're answering the question, how do I maintain a radical Christian life? And I believe it's that. I believe it's simple as that, is that I, my gaze need to be locked onto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. You know, it's, 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 it's wonderful to realize that there's a, there's a beginning where I realize actually in myself, in my own wretchedness, I am unable to do anything that will please him. And even not in my wretchedness, but in my... In, in a state where I am in relationship with God, even my best efforts will never satisfy. But there's something more. Um, I'm going to jump. I, I will jump around. I have notes, actually. I have prepared. But I just felt to shuffle it a little bit around. Hebrews 11, verse 24 and 25. So we're going to look at a couple of lives. And the first one is, is, is Moses. Just, just start... Um, yeah, start with Moses, just, just a man chosen by God, and, and he had a destiny. He was Pharaoh's adopted son. He had things waxed, and it was, I mean, his, his life was, he was in the fast lane. And, um, and yet Moses made a few choices, which, which, were, which were quite critical. Um, and he started to walk a road with God as a friend of God. And so... Some of the choices, and, 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 and the reason why he's made these choices is, is evident, because in Hebrews 11, it's, it's a great um, chapter, the, the Hall of Faith, they call it. The, the, you know, all the, the, the faith leaders, um, which, which is, is mentioned there. So let's, let's look at this. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So how could he do that? He had an aim. He had a plan. He had a vision. 
I remember we, we lived on, on the island for a little while there at Great Brack, and, and there's that narrow little bridge that, um, that, that's connecting the mainland with the island. And it's, it's really funny to actually see people driving and getting to the bridge, and it's just, whoa, stop. And um, my, my, my sister-in-law actually jumped out of the car and just refused to, to, to drive, drive over with, with, um, with my brother just because it looks impossible to do. And yet when, after, you know, after living there for a little while, you re, kind of the aim was to see how fast you can get over the bridge. And, um, but, but the one thing that, that I found even after driving that backwards and forwards so many times is that when I look down or I look at the tires, or I look here close by, I would drive into the curb every time. Um, and, you know, you would skid from this way to that way. But Benny mentioned it in, in, in a preach of his a little while ago, is, is if you get your eyes fixed on something that's constant, in other words, on the other side of a bridge, you mentioned about standing next, next, to, the, um, next to another car, the robot, and that, that car moving forward, and then it feels like, like you moving back until you get that vision of something fixed. The same thing here is that if you go over that bridge and you look to the other side of the bridge, not looking at the bridge, but looking at where I'm going, then suddenly it's easy to drive over. Somehow you maintain your direction. So for that little toddler to look and lock into his father's eyes, you maintain that connection. And so here, what happened with Moses, he, he had something to look forward to. I want to look at just, just Exodus 33. Um, yeah, Exodus 33 is also a well-known piece of Scripture where, where, for me, just Moses, this relationship with God, this locking in with, with God is, is just so beautifully displayed. So Moses said to the Lord, this is now after, after he received um, the commandments, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me, yet you have said, I know you by name, and you, and you have also found favor in my sight. That is God saying that of Moses. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And, and he, God, said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. I'm just going to stop there for a moment. So the first thing, three things Moses asked here. The first one was, um, was, was implied. Beg your pardon. So the first one was, was that um, what, what was implied was a close relationship, that you know me by name. Can I say just earlier, we were talking about that, and we were just, just ministering that we are known by name. That, you know, the love of Christ is something that's, I'm going to just interlude there. Can, I, can, can, can we go to John 17, verse 23? May I ask just this, this question before we read that scripture? I want to throw this out there because, you know, for us to lock onto, onto God and, and lock, lock into him, there's one thing that we need to know, and that is that we're favored. We need to know that we are loved. Now, my question, and, and, and I know that, Everyone will probably know the, 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 the Sunday school answer here. So let's drop the Christian knees. I want to ask to your heart tonight, if Jesus is standing here and Benny is standing here or, or, or you put yourself next to Jesus, 
Whom will the Father love more? So whom will the Father love more? Let's look what the Bible says. John 17, verse 23. I in them, Jesus saying this. Remember, this is John 17, is Jesus' high priestly prayer. He prayed it in the beginning. He says, I'm not praying it just for my disciples. I'm praying it for everyone that will follow me. That's you and I included. So he says, I pray, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So let's lock on to that. Benny, am I right in saying that we are loved even as Jesus was loved? That is, having done nothing yet, I certainly haven't been crucified. I haven't changed water into wine. I have done zippo. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was baptized, the Father spoke to him and said, you are, more, you are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. How much has Jesus done in ministry at that stage? Nothing. He was in relationship with him. And that's what's qualifying you and I. Okay, so... I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So where was I going with this? Moses. Let's get back to Old Testament. Ask Moses. Okay, so um, Exodus 33, verse 12, and, and we said that there was relationship that was implied. Um, Moses said to the Lord, um, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you said, I know you by name, right? We know by name, known by name. And you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways. Teach me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. That's where I wanted to be. Show me your ways so that I may know you. First question, first request. Um, so there's a teaching. That, then it goes on, um, and God actually replied and said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Can I just say that those two things, presence and rest, that goes hand in hand. The one is not obtained without the other. If we have God's presence, we will enter his rest. Um, right and he said to him if your presence will not go with me do not bring us up from here for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight I and your people is it not, is it not your going with us so that we are distinct I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth I'm just going to stop there for a moment distinction there's another biblical word. Let's just sound a little bit more Christianese and say that it's another biblical word that describes distinction. It's also called setting apart. In other words, it's holiness. Holiness means we set apart, we're distinct. It's altogether different. So here Moses is saying, but, but God, or in effect what he's saying, God, what will make us holy? What will change us? What, how will people know that we are different unless your presence go, go with us? Just the, the baptism testimony. For me, it's 
when I was reading this, I just realized, but, but you know what? What makes me distinct is not my efforts. It's not my identity. It's his presence. So his presence will come first, and out of that will, will flow holiness. Not holiness will usher in his, 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 his presence, but the other way around. It's his presence. It's seeking his face. Right. Uh, is it not you going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. Third request. So, so there's, there's three requests. First, teach me. Second is, God, I want to experience you. Let your presence be with me, because that will cause me to live holy. And then he said, okay, God, show me your glory. I want your glory revealed. Isn't it amazing that relationship with God gives us boldness before him, that we can ask? You know, how much deeper can we go if we only ask? But so oftentimes we satisfy just, God, your presence will be with me. That's okay. And it is good. And it is important. Or, God, I'm known by you. Teach me your ways. And I fill my head with, with biblical knowledge and think that that's what God intends. When actually saying on the other side, is, it's not about what you have here. This is a love letter. To the one who reads it that's not in relationship, it will mean zippo. But you being in relationship, read this thing, eat this thing, live this thing, lock in so that you can see, but this is the one. This is my treasure. This is the one that I will die for. This is the one that I will go to the ends of the earth because I'm so in love with him. And so God said, um, I will make my goodness pass before you. And I'll proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I think that's a lot, eh? So, um, after that, sorry, the, 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 next, the next verse, Jesus, uh, God said, sorry, God said that I cannot show you my glory, because no man can see my glory and live. So, which is true. We can't. However, Jesus said something very interesting in Matthew 16, verse 24 and 26. He says this thing. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What is Jesus saying? I just believe Jesus here was saying, I want you to see me in my fullness and my glory, but for that it means that you will have to die. See, as Josh Jen, we have the saying, dying to live. I almost want to say that we're dying so that we can see his glory. We're dying, and that's the only way that we can do that is somehow God finds pleasure in the smell of sacrifice for our flesh to die before him, not so that he, not because he's a masochist, not because he wants to see us suffer, not because he's disciplining out of anger, 
But he realized that the only way that we will ever see him is if we die to ourselves and live for him. But for that, we have to taste and we have to see that he is good. You know, I can describe all I want to someone that's never tasted. We used to, when I was in the UK, we, we, we went to, to ski in the Alps a couple of times. And so the, the highlight of the day, the highlight of the ski trip was coming down the slopes. And just before you, you, you actually go into the place where you um, put away your skis and all that, there was this one vendor that would make a, a, a crepe, a pancake. But it's about this big. And he would take Nutella and he would spread it all <laughs> on that thing and then he would fold it. So your eyes cold and, and, and he would hand you this thing. And you can die a happy man there because it is amazing. I can describe that to you. Or I can rather take you there and say, no, I can't take you there. But I would rather wish you'd taste that thing for yourself. Because it doesn't matter how well I describe it, I will never do justice to that. My, 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 my plea with you tonight... We can describe, we can sing, we can preach, we can read, we can pray, we can fast, all we want. But I believe God is there to say, come and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Do not be satisfied with the things of old. There's more. Be gluttonous for his presence. Be gluttonous for who he is. Sure. Okay. I've got another example. Just in case you're wondering and thinking, well, how do I maintain a radical Christian life that glorifies God and spill over into my daily life to cause people to crave after Jesus? Just, just in case we're worried that we will sit down a monastic type of lifestyle and just kumbaya and sing to God all the time and praise and all that. Let's look at a life that was touched and changed. So we're going to go to First Chronicles 13, verse 14. And before we read it, let me give you background. The other day we heard about a, a man, well, David. Actually, David um, wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines back to Jerusalem. He thought it was a good thing. We heard the preach on it um, last, last, Brad shared on that. And so they had the ox wagon, um, pulled the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, which was not supposed to happen, and then the oxen stumble, and a guy named Usha put out his hand to stabilize. Good thing in man's eyes. And he was splitting two. Um, the original, the original um, language actually describes his innards came out. It's not a nice picture. He was demolished then and then. So... Here, here he is, dead, and suddenly David is like, whoa, something has happened here. I don't like this. He's angry. He's upset. Um, and he doesn't know. He's scared. He says he, he was scared. So <laughs> I, I do put myself in, this, in, in Obed-Edom's um, shoes because here's the king. He's saying, Obed-Edom, I'm a bit scared. I've got this thing. I'm going to put it in your house. And it's going to stay here. Someone just touched it. He died. His innards came out. Um, but I'm not touching it. I'm leaving it here. I'm off. I'm back home. Jerusalem to me. Um, for me. 
And so here's the Ark of the Covenant in Obed-Eden's house. He's a Gittite. He doesn't know what to do. Talk about an elephant in the room. It's like, right, what do you do with that? According to, to, to some of the Jewish traditions, um, he actually was in such reverence that he, he would light a fire or a candle on both sides every day, twice a day. Now, I don't know whether it's verified or true, but he, he, he respected and actually saw this thing as something very, very special. So, 1 Chronicles 13, 14. And the ark of God remained with the household of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Now, I'm asking myself here, right, what, what, what is blessing? What is blessing? What, what can happen in three months that would actually change a man's life? If you're a farmer, three months, wheat might grow in three months, but that's about it. But, but, but how, how, how would people have known that he was blessed? Because it says that he was blessed. Now, interesting. And again, I don't... <laughs> Please don't take my word for it. I was just reading internet and Google, as you do, that apparently um, his wife and his daughters-in-law all produced six sons in that time. Now, how that has happened, I don't know. But anyway, so, so six sons. I, I thought afterwards maybe this is the reason why Saul's daughter, when she saw that David is bringing the ark back, she was saying, I'm despising that. I don't want this thing here. I'm going to have six sons if this, if this thing is in my house. I don't know. But um, he was blessed. So let's, let's assume that it was material. Let's, let's, let's name and claim it. Let's... Um, Let's assume that something really spectacular happened because David in Jerusalem heard about that. In the next verse, it says that David heard and then he started to make plans to do this thing correct and right. And after that, with Obed-Edom, an interesting happened. Interesting thing happened. So let me just get my notes here. Um, Obed-Edom had something. He tasted something so wonderful that even if it was a blessing in a material way, it, had, it compared to nothing that he experienced in those three months. So what happened to him afterwards? If he was blessed where he was, if it was a farm or whatever, he left that. Because in First Chronicles 15 verse 16, it says, David instructed the Levites to appoint musicians to sing joyful songs. And so Obed-Edom was chosen to play the harp, but he was a gatekeeper at that stage. He moved with the ark because he's tasted and he saw. It's like, I'm not leaving this thing. If the blessing is there in the material things, it doesn't compare. I'm going where this is going because this has changed my life. I've tasted something and I will not let go. So in 2 Chronicles, that's 15 verse 16. He's a gatekeeper, now he's a musician. They had to sing joyful songs. I think he qualified because he, he tasted something. In First Chronicles 15, 24, they're looking for doorkeepers to, to safeguard the ark. Guess where's Obed Eden? It's like, pick me. 
pick me. I'm here. He's a musician. He's a gatekeeper. Now he's a doorkeeper. In 2 Chronicles 24, verse 4 to 8, he talks about his sons, capable men with strength to do the work. Issachar was one of them, and they were able to discern the times. You know, suddenly there's, 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 there's the blessing of God is flowing. But, you know, even if it is material, even if, even if it is a name it and claim it gospel, he says, no, thank you. I have tasted something better. I have tasted and experienced the presence of God. You know, a little while ago, we were just at our house. We, we, we were just, just I, I can't even remember what we were talking about. But I was just filled with this unction to, to, when I spoke with Lucas and Alex. It's, it's, it's like, you know, this, this thing that we live, this Christianity, this Christian life that we live, we can preach it. We can live it, we can demonstrate it, but unless you taste it, unless you see it, unless you experience it, it will not touch your life. And so my plea really tonight is just how, how do we do this? How do I live a life that will glorify God, will spill over into my daily life and cause other people to crave Jesus? Get a lock on. Get a lock onto Jesus. See him for who he is. When we, when we sang tonight, you know, uh, just, just uh, your eyes are like flaming fires. Your, your, your words, it's, it's like water. And it sounds a little bit weird, but you know, love language, when, when I express my love to, to someone, it sometimes sounds a little bit weird. Go and read poems. But there's something that's deep in us crying out to the deep in him. And that we need to chase. That we need to, we need to run after like nothing else. I can talk a lot about Paul that says everything is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. He says I don't... I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already um, reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. There's a greater treasure, and I want to say that that treasure is Jesus. And and that doesn't mean that it's just there for one day when I pass on to eternity. It is to be tasted and seen and experienced here. So what will it take to have a radical life? Knowing him. It's a simple gospel. But see, every time that I think, oh my goodness, all these things that's veering for my attention, it's just to go back and say, God, my eyes are actually wandering off to the beach ball, to the colorful other things that's filled with air and a bag of uselessness. Captivate my heart again. Captivate me so that I will not lose sight of where I'm going. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, um, I'm just going to read it. It, it just, without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. 
In Hebrews 10, verse 32 to 36, it says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and afflictions, and sometimes being partners with those who are so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. I'm not there. I'm not there. Since you knew that you yourself had a better possession and an abiding one, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. I want to be there. But I need to have that one thing, that one track mind to see him fulfilled in my life the things that he has predestined me to walk in even jesus hebrews 12 verse 2 therefore G- therefore since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Even Jesus had a goal to run to, and that goal was the reconciliation of you and me. How much more should I fix my eyes on this one goal? In the prayer meeting beforehand, we, we said about the wind that's blowing into the, our sails. And Arnu pointed out that, you know, when we're sailing, we need to have a plan. We need to have a goal. We need to have a direction where we're going. Where is this direction that we're going? What is grabbing our attention? Let it be running to know him. When I'm reading my word, let it be reading to know him. When I'm praying, when I'm worshiping, let it be worship so that my heart can be exposed so that I can know him better. Because that's the only thing, it's the chief end of man, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the only way. Now, one thing I want to say. We can do all the praying for you and laying of hands what we want until we blue in the face. We cannot give you a hunger and a desire. But I can uphold Jesus or at least try to tonight, to say that, you know what? He's worth it. He's worth it. I can, I can try and paint a picture that, that will make you hungry. It's like giving you salt so that you will be thirsty for something more. And that's what I'm hoping tonight, is just to say, there's more. Do not settle for beach balls of this world. Run after him because he is so worth it. And so how do we get it? Jesus said, ask. You know, we're singing tonight, God, show me your glory. When I had that conversation with Lucas and Alex, I was suddenly just convicted, you know, to to say that, that, you know, chase is one thing more than anything in your life. And ask God to reveal himself to you. And suddenly I realized, when last did I pray that prayer? You know, it's, when last was I so desperate to say, God, wretched man that I am, I'm trying to do good and I'm not even doing that in Romans 7. Who can save me but you? Show me your glory. Because I cannot live a day without it. 
I'm useless without it. We sing it, we preach it, but do we realize our worthlessness outside of Him? Our best efforts, it's like filthy rags. The only thing that's pleasing to Him is the things that He, he can do, do, that He does inside of us. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to do that. Let's have those hearts that's, 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 that's penetrated with earthworms, that's so hungry for Him. Nothing will do but Him, the fullness of Christ in us. I brought the Fox's Book of Martyrs, and so <laughs> don't read it. It's, it, it cuts deep. But, but David Livingston, at the end of his life, they asked him, you know, he's, he's lost, I think, his wife and a couple of children on the mission field in, in Africa. And saying, so, so what do you have to say about the sacrifices um, that, that you had to endure? And his answer was simple. I've never had to sacrifice a single thing. Because he's in love. There is no sacrifice when there's love. Can we pray? Jesus, I want to pray that we will, I want to pray that we'll see you for who you are. Because when we see you, your love will draw us and cause us to love you. And I want to pray tonight, Lord, that, that, that we, will, we will be changed from glory to glory because we love sick. And not for the things to come, but for the things that's already here and now, daily in our lives, available. Lead us, Holy Spirit, I want to pray. Remind us of the teachings of Jesus like you've said you will. But let us not lose focus. I want to pray just whilst our eyes are closed. I don't know everyone here. So I want to say to you tonight that, you know, if, if, if you're wondering about this love of Jesus, can it really be so amazing? I want to say an emphatic yes. Is it worth it? A million times over. And so if you don't know this Jesus, and if his love has not been shed abroad in your heart tonight, I want to introduce you to the most magnificent, loving God. So if you don't know Jesus and you're not in a relationship with him, may I ask you, can you please just put up your hand? I don't want to let this opportunity pass by. I'd love for you to meet him. Whilst we keep our eyes closed, I don't think it's necessarily a time to minister, but I want you to, to, to search your own heart tonight and just, just, just look for the beach balls that you might have been chasing after. And then I want to, you to ask, and you know, make time with God now, you know, there's, there's, there's no parking in the kingdom of God. 
we're either progressing and moving forward or we're regressing and moving back. There's no threats in moving back, but just to say, lift your eyes and see him. Because it's, it's not what you're doing wrong, it's what you're missing out on. And it's his kindness, it's his love that brings us to repentance. So just, just make business with God where you are. I think just, I'm going to give it a minute or two. But let's ask God, reveal yourself to us. Yeah, Lord, would you reveal yourself to us? Just even as John was sharing that scripture, I, I also felt it so strongly on my heart about every sin and weight that so easily entangles us. And, and oftentimes we get so focused on, 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 on the sin that we, we overlook the weights. And so, um, and those are those distractions. And so, Lord, even just... As we close tonight, Lord, I ask that you would reveal yourself to us once more in a new way, Lord. And in that, Lord, that your, your marvelous light would shine into every crevice of our lives. And wherever there's shortcoming, because there are shortcomings, and where, where your spirit hasn't completely filled the portions of our life, Lord, I ask that it would fill our lives. Lord, that we wouldn't settle, that we wouldn't so easily settle, but Lord, that we would always be running, running after you. Lord, your word says that your goodness chases after us, Lord. And Lord, that we would chase after you in the same way. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, would you continue to minister to us, minister to us even if, as we leave this place tonight, Lord? Lord, that you would um, ignite a flame within us, which is not this mild, soft, cushy feeling, Lord, that we would jump out of our seat and that we would be chasing after you, Lord. Would you bring a new zeal to our hearts, Lord? Only by your grace, Jesus. And Lord, that this wouldn't be theory, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts for the application to Lord, would you give us courage to take those things head on, kick those balls out of the way, and run for you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. I think there might be coffee left. Amen. Have a good week.